We are taking a break from the book of Matthew, and uh, there's a section of Scripture that have really, has really resonated with me during this season, and I want to teach from it today. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. So Titus 2, 11 through 14 is going to be our text this morning. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to be teaching out of that in reality, Honolulu, and... Um, been doing my personal devotions and quiet times in it. It's been a really sweet change for me, and uh, I loved reading it. And uh, the title of this morning is Devoted and Committed. Devoted and Committed. Let me read Titus 2, 11 through 14 out of the New Living Translation. I have it on the screen if you don't have that translation. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from, the, from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. This is God's word. Why don't we pray? God, we thank you for the word that we have in front of us. Thank you that it's God-breathed and God-inspired, and it's meant for training, rebuking, and correcting in righteousness. God, we thank you that your word is truly a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Without it, we would be lost. We would be wandering without it. But we thank you, God, that you've given it to us and we have it here today. And we ask that you would reveal yourself through it to us, that we would understand what it's saying and how it applies to our own lives. God, we ask that for your anointing, your empowerment, that I would be your mouthpiece to communicate these truths this morning. Pray that you be honored and glorified with what happens here today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In this season, as we prepare to go and as we pray quite a bit about the church in, in Honolulu and what it's to be like. And there's many that would ask, you know, what, what do you want to see it be like? And there's all these general answers I could give, right? I want God to get all the glory. I want his will to be done. I want him to be glorified, which is all true. But this section of scripture for me has been just reoccurring over and over and over again. And so it's really resonated with me. It spoke to me, this text this morning. And... Um, you know, as a pastor, you pray towards and work towards what you want God to do in, in, in the church that, I don't know, he has you pastoring. And so I'm, I'm entering into that season of really seeking God's face for like God to move in this church. And as I seek God and I pray and when we ask God to, to move and for him to do these things in Honolulu in, in this new church plant, I've been reflecting, you know, in this season I've been doing that, I've been reflecting quite a bit on our time here in Carp, right? There's this season that's coming to an end. I pretty much grew up here. I've uh, been here pretty much since the beginning, the last 12 or 13 years, and been worshiping alongside you guys, a part of this community, a part of what God's done in the coastlands, in the city of Carpinteria, and all the other crazy stuff that we've done, right? 
that God's done through us. Plant all these churches in Santa Barbara and Ventura and all around the world, right? God's, God's moved so incredible in this place. And as I reflect on my time here and I look at this passage, I can really say by God's grace and for his glory that he's done some amazing, incredible things in our midst. Right? Can I get an amen for those of you guys that have been here? God's like moved and we've like been a part of this just miraculous move of God in the city of Carpinteria. Like there's this special incredible thing that God has done and he's changed us and transformed us. And for many of you, you like you were saved here and this has been really formative to your walks. And that's just, it's not that God couldn't do that anywhere else. I'm just speaking into what God has done here. And as I read a text like we're in this morning, You know, as I'm thinking and praying about the text and about Honolulu and what God would do, one thing I I look at when I see what God's done here in CARP is as I look forward to Honolulu and say, if even God does half of what he did in these last dozen years, in the life of that church, I'm happy. Like, for me, just sitting in these seats, doing life with you guys here, God has met me and I've seen him move in such incredible ways that as I look forward, if God does half as much as what he did here, I feel like that's a win. And that's all glory to God. That's not us. It's not this church. It's like God's spirit moving in this place. And when I meditate on our scripture this morning, I realize that I've seen these things played out before, and it's here. As I read this text this morning, and we'll we'll look at it, and we'll dig into it, I realize that I've seen this played out here. And what I want to do this morning, if you could say my last and final time up here, final exhortation or encouragement to you is that to encourage you to press in even more to what God has for you. I believe that God has exceedingly abundantly more than we can hope or think for these next 12 or 13 years here in Carpinteria. Don't you believe that? Right? God is not done with us. He's here. He's moving. And what I want to do is acknowledge the work that he's done, but also encourage you to press in even more for what God has for you, individually, corporately, here at Reality Cart. Paul did this similar thing in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians, he was speaking of their love for one another. And this is what he said, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10. Paul's speaking to them and he says, Now as to the love of the brethren which you have, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren. In other words, you've been doing it well. You're moving, you're being used by God. You're loving each other with the love of God. But I urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Continue on, continue pursuing God in the way in which you have. And in many ways, what I want to do this morning is use Titus 2, 11 through 14 as a springboard to encourage you to continue on to strive to be more like Jesus. And to experience more of the Lord in this church and in your lives than you ever have. In our text this morning is a letter that Paul is writing to Titus. Titus is one of his faithful companions that Paul has had with him on his many missionary journeys. Uh, alongside Timothy, another one of his faithful you know, sons in the faith, so to speak. And this letter, this letter to Titus, is right after Paul has left Titus on the island of Crete, right off the coast of Greece. 
It's this large, the largest Greek island. He's left him there. And the reason why Titus is there is to help provide leadership to the churches and for Titus to instruct them what, it's, what, it, what you're meant to do as a pastor and as elders and how the church is to function. And so Paul has left his young protege on this island and he's writing this letter to him. I love the flow in this section. I love the flow. Paul first starts with a very profound truth. One of the the main things that Paul is getting to Titus to communicate to the church in Crete is that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming back. This is the first thing that he does in this text and and it's throughout these verses. He's reminding Titus, he's reminding the churches on that island that Jesus has come and he's coming back. This is the truth that's indicated in this text. We call it the indicative. It's the truth stated. But there's some imperatives that follow. Imperatives are necessary actions because of a stated truth. The stated truth is that Jesus has come and he's coming back and he's done all these things. The imperatives that are in our text this morning are that because of those truths, as believers that believe in those truths, we are now to be, number one, devoted to God. Number two, committed to do his work. Right? The truth that's stated is Jesus has come back and is coming back. And what that means for us is that now we're to be devoted to God and committed to his work. So let's look at that. This, this idea, this truth that Jesus has come back and is coming back, excuse me, has come and is coming back. Verse 11 of our text this morning. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Stop there. The grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. What that means is that the gospel has been revealed to all men. Bringing salvation to all people It means that the good news of Jesus Christ is offered to all of humanity. Or it's made available to all of humanity. And he did it. God did it by his grace. It's an undeserved gift that he sent his son to this earth to die in our place. Right? Grace uh, It's by God's grace that he sent his son. It's by grace that we're saved. Ephesians 2.8. We all know this. By grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Look at verse 14 of our text. It explains more why Jesus came the first time. Verse 14 of our text this morning of Titus chapter 2. It says that Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people. Why did Jesus come? To free us from sin. We were dead in our sins. We were in bondage to sin. The wages of sin was death. The penalty that was accrued by us because we were sinners was death, eternal death apart from God. But Jesus freed us from that bondage and he freed us from the penalty of our sin. Can I get an amen? That's what Jesus came to do when he came. He freed us from sin. Also, there's a nuance there. He cleansed us from our sin. See, sin had made us unclean or unrighteous. Sin had had let us marred. It It left us separated from God. God was a perfect, holy, innocent God. And sin has left us 
unclean and unrighteous. And what Jesus did when he came and forgave us and freed us from our sin is that he cleansed us. Right? We once were crimson stained, but now he's made us white as snow. He's cleansed us from our sin. He's made us clean and righteous before our God. When he came the first time, not only did he free us from our sin, and he cleansed us from our sin, those of us that have trusted in him as Lord and Savior, but he also made us his very own people. See, we were created by God, and we were intended to be with God. Sin in the garden messed with that. It broke this relationship. It broke God's intended design. And love is the thing that has brought us back to himself. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to free us and cleanse us from our sin in order to restore a broken relationship and make us his very own people. There's this profound truth that Paul reminds Titus of. And it's important that we too stand upon that truth before we move on into anything in our relationships with him, anything that we do for Christ. It's important that we are reminded what we're freed from and what Jesus came and what he did. But also, it says there in verse 13, we look forward to a hope that one day, a wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus will be revealed. That's the second coming. Jesus is coming back. I don't know if you know that. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming to rule and reign and set all things right and, and bring judgment. And he's, he, he's coming back to set all things right. Why I like how this section starts before he even gets into like, what that means for us is he sets the right foundation because it it sets the posture of our hearts in a right place. It starts and reminds us of the gospel. And church, if there's anything that I can leave with you is the reminder that Jesus is the reason for all of this. Like he's the reason that we have testimonies. Who wrote your testimony? Who authored it? Jesus. Why are we here? Why do most of us gather in this room? It's because of Christ and what he's done for us. That we're walking in freedom, that the old has passed away and the new has come and we experience the person of Jesus in our lives through his word, through his spirit. But also, Jesus is the reason for the church, universal, the the capital C church. All the church that gathered all around the world is because of him. The reason why reality church is here, reality carpenteria church lowercase c, is because of Jesus. He's the senior pastor. He's our Lord. And praise God that we as a church have set Jesus in the right place. And I know most of your lives, I mean, I don't know most of your lives. I know a lot of you. And you've, you've done that. You've set Jesus as that firm foundation. You've built your life, so to speak, on the rock. And if there's anything that I can leave with you, is that can keep making it all about Jesus. Don't depart, don't turn to the right or to the left. Run far away if any of this turns from Jesus. I just told you to, to leave the church. And you should if it's not about Jesus anymore. You know what I mean by that. Hopefully you can... T- 
Britt's going to come back and be like, did you tell everybody to leave? You know what I mean. My prayer for you, Reality Carp, is that of what the Sanhedrin told Peter and John. You know, in the book of Acts, the start of the early church, Pentecost had come. Um, the Spirit of God had fallen on the believers. They were empowered. They were preaching the gospel. They got in trouble for it. Peter and John were standing in front of the, the Sanhedrin, the religious council at that time. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, living for God and, and being used by God. And this is what the council said of them. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. I by no means am saying that you guys are uneducated or untrained. Not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if there's anything that you are to strive to be marked by is have people say, oh man, I don't know about them. I don't know what they do at reality. I don't know what this Christian thing is. But man, they've been with Jesus. I pray that for you guys. I pray that as Paul starts this section of scripture out, that we too would always keep Jesus on the throne. Amen? He'd always come first. It would be all about him. But the truth that's set forth to us first is that Jesus came to cleanse us from sin and save us from the penalty of, of it. And one day he'll make all things right. You got that? That's that truth stated. That's that indicative here in this text. But now it segues into that first imperative, that first necessary action for us. It's that we're to be devoted to God. This idea of being devoted to God comes from the end of verse 12 in the text this morning. It says that in light of that truth, we are now instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures, and we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. This idea of devotion to God encompasses a few things. It involves surrender and lordship. Right? Our lives are devoted to God when we come under the lordship of Christ, when we surrender our lives to his rule and reign. Another way to say it was now we're in allegiance to God. He's in control, right? It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Even by definition, the word devotion means the fact or state of being ardently dedicated and loyal. And so to be devoted to God, or, or to live a life that's devoted to God, encompasses all these things. It involves surrendering. It involves His Lordship. It involves submitting to His Word and His plans and His, His will for our lives. An example of this, um, I think the, the most prime example that we can think in society today is marriage. In a marriage, when you... Um, say your vows to your spouse. Those vows are intended, or the purpose of them, is to communicate your devotion to that other person. Right? Of your love, and of your life, and of your priorities, and of your time. and You're devoting your life to that other piece, person. Those are, what, those are what vows are intended for. You're devoting your life and your love to that person. You guys right, either have said it yourself because you're married or you've seen it at every wedding. But when you're saying yes to that person, you're also saying no to everyone else. That, that's what the vows are intended to do. 
When you're saying yes to all those things and giving your life to that person, what you're also saying is no to lots of other things and everyone else. You're keeping your love and affection, time and life reserved for that other person and that other person alone. And saying a yes to them is saying no to any other. Right? Those are the way that vows are intended. Well, similar, when we live a life that is devoted to the Lord, what we're doing is saying yes to the Lord and no to a life living apart from the Lord. And we're also saying to, uh, when we say yes to the Lord, we're saying no to sin. We're saying no to a selfish, independent nature. We're saying no to living our life on our own, how we want it, when we want it. When we're saying yes to the Lord, we're saying no to all these other things. But that's what makes it a devoted life to the Lord. When we're devoted to the Lord, we are saying, Lord, I am yours and you are mine. And there is no other. Money, person, position, talent. There's no other besides you. You are the most important and you deserve my life and my love. That's what it means to live a devoted life to the Lord. But there's much that comes from that. When you posture your heart in such a way and you live in your life in such a way that you're devoted to Christ, there's, there's, there's much that comes from that. We see that in our text this morning. There's three things that come from a devoted life. One is sanctification. It's just a fancy word for becoming like Jesus, being transformed into the image of Jesus. Sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Number two, that flows from a devoted life to Christ is anticipation. Anticipation of his coming. And three, it's participation. Like those patients, like all that? Maybe an easy way for you guys to remember. But a devoted life to God leads to sanctification, anticipation, and participation. Participation is participating in the building of his kingdom. First one here, sanctification, like I said, is becoming more like Jesus. It's becoming more like him in our life, in our speech, in our conducts, in our deeds. The way we act and react is now becoming like Jesus. We're being transformed into his image, right? We're being becoming new creations. We become to look more like him and less like the world or less like a life filled with sin. We become more like him. And a result of our devotion to God should be, in our text this morning, it says we should turn from godless living, we should turn from sinful pleasures, and we should turn from a life that is lived apart from God to live a life that is with or for God. That's what it means to be sanctified in our text this morning. It means that no longer are we living a godless life or Our life is no longer filled with sinful pleasures, but rather we are living for Christ, for his glory. There's a section in the book of Romans chapter 6 that I want to read for you. I'm going to read 14 verses right now. I have it all up on the screen. But allow this to wash over you. It wonderfully communicates this idea that in light of God saving us, this is now how we are to live. This is how we are to be sanctified. Romans 6, 1 through 14, it says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, 
we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin might lose its power in our lives. We no longer are slaves to sin. Look at verse 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we now also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ has raised him from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Verse 11. So you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead... Give yourselves completely to God. Be devoted to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. How good is that? Really? Not, that's not that good. <laughs> wow. Are you guys still in like the turkey coma, L-tryptophan kind of thing? Feels a little like it. Thanksgiving weekend, had leftovers this morning. You guys, are you guys with me? Have you, did you read this? You checked out. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Sanctification comes from devotion to God in the form of a life surrendered to him. Right? When we, t- when we spend time in his word, when we pray, when we worship, when we align our lives w- uh, with God's word and we ask for the power of the spirit, we're transformed into his image. And, and, and we're to live like this now and not like how we used to. A devoted life leads to sanctification. Secondly, a devoted life leads to anticipation. And this is why that is. See, when we spend time with Jesus, I mean, when we walk with him, when our lives are devoted to him, when we read his word and when we obey his word and when we experience him, I mean, when we live with Jesus, you will become increasingly captivated, entranced, and enthralled by who he is. And you will begin to long more and more for the day when you get to see him face to face. You will. And I, and I can't explain this feeling unless you know it. But you will just fall more in love with Jesus. The more you get of him, the more you'll want. And our soul longs for the day where we'll be reunited with our creator. And a life devoted to God gives us that anticipation. It gives us that longing. Our text this morning says that it'll be a wonderful day when the blessed hope, our great God and Savior, comes again. I love how the psalmist said it as he longed for God. Psalm 84 says, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. 
I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. And while we have this anticipation and we should dwell on things above and we should um, keep our minds dwelling on those things. In the meantime, until Jesus comes back, we're to put our hands to the plow in the furthering of the kingdom of God. Until we see him face to face in light of the truth that he came and freed us from our sin, a life devoted to God, our devotion to Christ leads us into mission. It leads us into participation. When, when our lives are devoted to God, we understand the world around us is fallen and broken, and we have the truth to set them free because we ourselves have been set free. And we know that the reason why God hasn't taken us yet is because there's work to do. Guys, why, why are we still here? Yes, to be with Jesus. We got that. But why? Paul had this, you know, in, in Philippians chapter 1, had this same tension. He's like, it's better that I go to be with God, but it's necessary that I stay here so that I tell you about Jesus. Paraphrase. Guys, evangelism is temporary. I don't know if you know that. Evangelism is temporary. There's only so much time that we have to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. But I love it, you know, because it's easy to just to jump in though, right? Okay, okay, okay. But I love it how A.W. Tozer puts it. One of my favorite authors and pastors and really prophets of the 21st century. A.W. Tozer reminds us that first we must be with Jesus in order to be used by Jesus. Which is exactly what our text says today. A.W. Tozer says, we're here to be worshipers first and workers only second. We take a convert and immediately make him a worker out of him. God never meant it to be so. God meant that a convert should learn to be a worshiper, and after that, he can learn to be a worker. The work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. This is this phrase that God's given us, um, we use a lot here at Reality, is that ministry flows from intimacy. We first need to be with Jesus, that, 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 that being before we're sent. But nonetheless... Nonetheless, our text this morning would say that we need to be totally committed to doing good deeds or committed to his work. And the truth is, not only because he hasn't taken us back to be with him, right? But also, it's not good for us just to, just to lay idle. Idle hands. I have a three and a half year old daughter and idle hands is not good. She has to do something or else she honestly will get into trouble. Same is true throughout all of life. Junior high, you cannot have junior highers stand idle. Idle hands is not good. High school, worse. <laughs> Adults, even worse. No, seriously. Guys, I'm telling you, I think... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm convinced of it, that God wants to put our hands to the plow. It's because it's good and right and good for us, and it helps us not to wander. It helps us not to get self-consumed and wrapped up with ourself. Like, we were created to be with God, 
but we're also create, created to be used by God. Like, we're here to continue to tell the good news of Jesus Christ in word and deed, to be salt and light to this earth. So what does that look like? Right, for here, in, us in Carp, in this room. Well, it means to be involved in God's mission, what he's doing locally and globally. In your family, in your friends, at your workplace, at your school, in this community, in this city, even here at this church. We're called to participate in what God is doing. To participate in being used in the building of his kingdom. And there's not one of us that's exempt from that. God desires to use us for his glory in these capacities. But God also has a global heart. Right? Not only does he love our neighbor, but he loves the world. And he loves specifically, uh, you know, God's laid on our heart recently as reality, reaching the unreached. Those have never heard the gospel. Those, those have never heard the truth. Those that don't know the truth that's in the word of God. And not all of us will go, and we're not all supposed to go. But we, as believers in this church, are to participate globally in what God has done. Whether that's pray, or give financially, or go What it means to participate in God's kingdom is to be involved in mission locally and globally. But nonetheless, God has called us to be devoted to him, but not only devoted to him, but to committed to good works. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. We're called to do. It's a part of like, because of what Jesus did. Like we're called to be devoted to him and committed to to do good works. That's what we see in the text this morning. We see this incredible truth. And we're reminded of this incredible truth that Jesus has come and he's changed everything. Right? He's freed us from sin. And there is one day that he'll come back and set all things right once again. But in the meantime, we're left as exiles in this world. Right, our home and our citizenship is in heaven. But in the meantime, our life is to be one of devotion to God. And what we've seen today is there's much that flows from a devoted life. Sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. Anticipation, hoping for his return. Living for heaven. But also there's participation in the building of his kingdom. And these things are good and right. But they're a bit still ethereal. Right? They're, they're, they're good truths. They're out there. Yes, I know we should do that. And what might help is if I just share how I've attempted to be devoted. I've attempted to be committed to God's will. There's some guiding verses that help keep me on track. There's some guiding verses that I have to tell myself daily in order to continue to stay devoted to God. And 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 I'm being really honest. I have to say these truths to myself daily in order to continue to be devoted to God and committed to his will. These are the verses. This is what I tell myself. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. For I have died and my life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3. For I have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in my body. I say it a bit different. I don't say exactly that to myself. What I say is, 
And, and I mean, I start the day with this. God, my life's no longer my own. It's hidden with you. You've bought me with a price. Now, I want to give you glory in all I do. I say that. God, my life is no longer my own. It's hidden with you. And you've bought me with a price. That price was your son. And because of that, I want to glorify you in all that I do. I preach these truths to myself daily in the good or the bad. I have to. I need to remind myself of these truths. I have to remind myself of what Christ has done for me and what that means for my own life. You know, and sometimes it's not the start of the day. Sometimes it's when I just feel like I'm drifting. I feel like I forget it. I feel like I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, your life might be really busy and um, you don't have time for the Lord in the morning. I get that. And maybe it's just throughout your day. Like maybe when, it's, when you're tempted by sin, you need, to, you need to tell yourself, you need to remind yourself of the truth of Scripture that says, no, my life is no longer my own. It's hidden with Christ. God's paid for me by his blood. And because of that, I will glorify God in all I do. But then, not only that, I ask the Holy Spirit for help. I know I'm prone to wander. I'm speaking myself right now. I know I'm weak and I know I'm frail. I think for, there's this disconnect sometimes that you can think like, I'm on this stage right here and I'm a pastor, so that means like I'm better. Or I can, it's easier for me. I'll be, I'll be honest. This doesn't mean that. I'm just as sinful. I'm just as prone to wander. I am just as broken as you guys. And I need the Holy Spirit just as much. Don't think what I'm saying right now. It's like, hey, that works for you, but not for me. I'm gonna go back up now. <laughs> Last time preaching. I guess I can do what I want. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I realize that there's no way for me to do this life on my own. And I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask daily that the Holy Spirit would make me devoted to Christ and committed to his will. I want to continue to be more like him. I say, God, continue in my sanctification. God, I want to live in anticipation of the things of heaven. And I want to participate in the building of your kingdom. And there's also catalysts that promote a devoted life. For instance, time spent in God's word. Reading it, obeying it, knowing it, memorizing it. Time in prayer, communicating with God. Spending time in worship. Spending time in godly community fosters a devoted life in God. Also, your environment and who you surround it with helps or hurts your devotion to God. There's, there's catalysts that promote devotion to God that you can set up in your life. But to be devoted to God and committed to his will starts with a posture of the heart. It starts with believing and trusting in those verses that I shared with you, that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. For I died with Christ and my life is hidden with him. And I've been bought with a price now therefore glorify God in my body. It starts with a posture of the heart, but is only attained by the power of God. It's only attained by walking in the spirit, asking God for the strength and the might in order to be devoted to him. We can't do it on our own. Doesn't matter if you're pastor, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. 
We all are in need of Jesus. We're all in a need to have a posture of our heart of devotion and then attain it by the power of the Spirit. Carp, I want to leave you with that. I want to encourage you to continue on pursuing Jesus. To continue to have a life that is devoted to him and out of an overflow of that devotion, you become more like him. You anticipate heaven like you, you never have before. And you jump headlong to participate in the furthering of God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would seal this work right now. We do want to be a people that are completely devoted, loyal, dedicated in allegiance to our God and Savior. God, we want to be a people that look like Jesus. We want to be more like you. We want to have great hope in our anticipation of you coming back. But we also pray, Lord, that you would move us into action to participate in what you're doing in our city and in the world. Lord, would you fill us up with your spirit? We do not have the strength, nor are we meant to do this on our own. We need you, Father. We need you, Father, to fill us up, to give us the power and might, the ability to live for you in a life devoted to you. Help us, Lord. We pray, God, this in Jesus' name. Amen.